Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. In 15 minutes and 29 seconds, a knife is going to be thrust with powerful, relentless force. Shandy doesn't know this, but I know it. Everyone who watches this disturbing video knows it. Finally finished, baby. Walking home now. How was your night? Her attacker launches from the darkness. The shadowy figure is running hard to where Shandy would have been. Hello, sir. What is the town or suburb of your emergency? Uh, Mackay. Okay, so tell me exactly what's happened with this lady. I don't know. Her head is on top of the gutter. She's not moving. She's bleeding. Can you just hurry up? She's getting faint. The pulse is getting faint. How old is she, sir? Oh, man. 
suspect in the murder of Shandy Blackburn has denied he ever confessed to killing her. Have you ever seen him in the meat cleaver? Yeah, in the back pocket. Queensland Court has heard details of the brutal slaying of 23-year-old Mackay woman Shandy Blackburn. Her former boyfriend went to trial over her death but was found not guilty by the jury. He said he wanted to stab her. I'm an innocent man. Have I done something wrong? That's a strong indication of blood. You've got the video evidence. It's there. It's indisputable. And there's a mother, Vicky, who wants justice for her daughter, cut down just metres from the family home. I've gone back to the night of Shandy's murder and delved deep into her life to try to find out who killed this young woman and why. And I've spoken to experts about some of the remarkable evidence. They say this case can still be solved. Shandy's killer can be brought to justice. Headley Thomas is back with a new podcast called Shandy's Story. His first podcast, the international hit Teacher's Pet, is unfortunately no longer available to listen to. The best you'll do is the original trailer. Lynette Dawson was reported missing by her husband, former Newtown Jets rugby league star Chris Dawson. I just don't believe for a moment that she left us voluntarily and then stayed away all of this time. There have been two inquests into Mrs Dawson's suspected murder and despite both coroners recommending that charges be laid against a known person, the Director of Public Prosecutions believes there's not enough evidence. Well, he was a, a teacher at the school. He came to the school in 1979 and took the sports coaching class in year 11. How old were you? 16. He was the cool guy, the fun guy. It was literally grooming the entire class. I've lost a dear friend and I've carried these and I miss her every day. I just want justice and I'd love her little girls to know she didn't leave them. One of the subjects of Headley's teacher's pet investigation, Chris Dawson, is now awaiting trial for the murder of his wife, Lynette, who disappeared without a trace in 1982. He maintained for decades that Lynn had left him and their small children to join a religious group, and he went on to marry the live-in babysitter, Joanne Curtis, who was still a teenager at the time and was also a former student of his at Sydney's Cromer High School. It was later alleged that Dawson and others habitually abused students in their care at Cromer High in the 1980s. Former art teacher Peter Wayne Scott was convicted on 14 counts of child sex offences relating to his time as a staff member at the school during the same period in 2019. Meanwhile, Lynette Dawson's remains have never been recovered, but Chris Dawson's murder trial is slated to begin in May next year. For his second podcast, Headley Thomas took us to Bathurst and investigated the baffling unsolved disappearance from 2001 of Janine Vaughan. Gentlemen, start your engines. Even the weather is staying fine for us here at Mount Panorama for how long we don't know. Police fear for the well-being of the woman in Bathurst who disappeared without a trace. 
Janine Vaughan was last seen getting into a small red sedan in Kevill Street after a night out at the Metro nightclub. Air and ground searches of an area at the foot of Mount Panorama, prompted by reports of a woman's screams, failed to reveal any clues. Described as a ray of sunshine. She's not the kind of person who will just disappear and not let anybody know what's happening. Unless anybody else comes through with any information, it'll just sit there as a cold case. The police strike force was set up to reinvestigate the case. It whittled down a list of suspects from 47 to 3. They include a former Bathurst detective who worked on the initial investigation. Another suspect, a local pharmacist who owned a small red car. Never been in my car? Didn't know. Why did you tell them you cut the throat with a knife? That's a pretty graphic story, yes? Yeah. Janine Vaughan's family already knew what the coroner would find, that the 31-year-old had been abducted and murdered and that the initial police investigation was flawed. She was seriously concerned about her own safety. This investigation has been incredibly frustrating, probably the most frustrating in my career. We think there's people in Bathurst who have been holding on to secrets for some time. Somebody must know something. You know, I just want it to be over. I just need it to be over. There are links in the show notes to this episode that will take you to The Night Driver and to Shandy's story. But today we hear some of Headley's story. Of course, we'll begin by talking about the responsibility he feels when taking on these big investigations. But a little later, Headley Thomas will share with us the story of the unsolved crime that he and his wife Ruth live with every day. Uh, Shandy Blackburn, she's a 23-year-old uh, woman who was stabbed to death walking home in Mackay uh, mm-hmm. in 2013. Is that an unsolved? Unsolved, yeah. How did the Bathurst one go? Any yes, some leads really on inter- Yeah, really interesting leads that came out of it and I think police are still following some of those and doing their own covert secret squirrels stuff that I'll never hear about. Uh, but, it was you know, great. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing case involving you know the sister Kylie who who just you know didn't didn't stop looking and you know it was it was hard too because I still like the copper and you know I know you were insistent (laughs) you were like everyone just get over it and I was like Headley I remember standing in my kitchen going I don't know mate is that right yeah Wow. Well, what about it? Like, why? Why? Look, it was a while ago now, but I just remember one episode when you were like so stern with us as yeah. listeners going, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in my kitchen doing my dishes going, I can't. Yeah. I can't get over it. He's handsy hmm. and he's, he's inappropriate. And I just, I don't know, there's just, he gives me the creeps and I can't yeah. get over it. It will be obvious to listeners of this podcast series that Brad Hosemans isn't viewed with suspicion by me or by my friend, the retired judge Peter Murphy, in the disappearance of Janine Vaughan. We've examined now thousands of pages of documents. We've had a look at every piece of evidence that's come in during the the course of the podcast and all of the evidence we've seen. I just can't see any evidence at all that links Hosemans to Janine in any meaningful way, much less links him to her murder in any meaningful way. But I've said all along that rumour builds upon rumour builds upon rumour. If rumours are swirling, then it's very difficult to disassociate what many people would have seen as bad behaviour from an entirely separate issue of what other facts about his connection, if any, with Janine and what 
facts, you know, and again, underline the word facts, point to any association between Hosman's and Janine's disappearance and murder. In our view, one of the reasons for the failure of police to identify the murderer is directly due to the distracting focus on Hosman's. Yeah. Um, but it was a great, by that stage, I just remember thinking about the craft that you had put in into the podcast and it was just a really great conversation that I was having with you, you know. Oh. It was just a great moment in the podcast. Oh, thank you, Michelle. That's really thoughtful and kind of you it to say great. that. No, yeah. well, here we are all these, I don't know, it's at least a year later because I've year, yeah. moved house, do you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm picturing myself in that kitchen and I'm thinking, God, I don't remember much about why but I just remember this passionate moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Can we still not mention the name of the other show? Oh, yeah, no, it's fine to talk about. We've been promoting that, that we've done Teacher's Pet. We just can't talk about the evidence. We can't sort of um, say anything that might prejudice his trial, but there's no problem in saying this is a piece of creative um, journalism. Yeah, there was a huge amount of pre-trial legal manoeuvring and that you know, is every right of a of a defendant to to you know ensure that he can get a fair trial. And one of his arguments was that pre-trial publicity made that um, harder. And uh, that's the reason why the Teachers Pet podcast is no longer available in Australia. That's never happened yeah. in Australia before. Like, there's been a lot of podcasts, obviously, a lot of true crime podcasts. A number of them have led to things happening in the real world, inquests and things like that. But yours is the first one that has. I, as far as I know, been pulled from uh, publication and led to this kind of contention. So how how was that on you mental health-wise? Uh, well, we withdrew the podcast uh, out of a sense of wanting to be as fair as possible, and I think that was absolute, absolutely the right thing to do. In terms of uh, that whole period, uh, you know, it was um, it was tough for a lot of people, and I I felt um, in the middle of a storm at times. But um, you know, nothing like what Lynn's family had gone through. Um, I was exhausted by the end of it, so mentally and physically, um, I think really fatigued. But um, then, you know, there was still a lot of work to do because I wanted to satisfy the. Uh, requests of uh, Chris Dawson's legal team. Uh, they wanted to see and hear a lot of the material that I had collated, and that's fair enough. They had every right to do that, subject to me observing, um, you know, any obligations I had to to individuals in terms of privacy. Uh, and that went along, and and we got through it. And we're at a stage now where Chris Dawson's trial, as I understand it, is scheduled for 2022. Um, there've been COVID and other delays that uh, have put it off, but um, uh, hopefully that's when it goes ahead and he does get that fair trial. Did you feel like you were the leader of a team, and and that you um, had a responsibility to your team to sort of get them through something when when the shit came down as it were yeah look i remember feeling um incredible uh, burden of responsibility to try to tell the story as faith as faithfully as i could and to also honor you know the life of uh, lynn um and also you know her surviving family members um particularly 
um, her children because you know they were um, caught up in this and you know it, it's an incredible thing to be suddenly at the center of a very public event and and then it escalates even further with um, you know Chris being charged with murder so there have been you know over this period uh, I think a lot of stress events on a lot of people and you know I don't want to make this about my stress but um, certainly it was it was intense for a while Coming up on Australian True Crime, Hedley Thomas shares the very practical advice he received from a psychologist who specialises in post-trauma counselling. But I want you to listen out for something that happens in the background of our conversation soon. It's something I found particularly interesting. Hedley was sitting in his kitchen chatting to me on Zoom and his wife Ruth was really quietly wandering around in the background the entire time, just going about her business. She was very quiet until we reached a certain point in the conversation. And then suddenly Ruth's business became quite noisy. I didn't say anything because I found it fascinating and I wanted to see if it got quiet again when the subject changed. Thank you to patrons Cynthia Fernandez, Megan Rice, Angela Hornman, Lucy McPhail, Paul Tomchick and Kristen Quirk. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think the most stressful event in my family's life uh, was in 2002 when, you know, true crime was visited upon us in our own home. And, and that was a shooting that, um, you know, caused enormous pain, for, uh, emotional, mental anguish. Uh, and uh, we still to this day don't know who fired the bullets through our bedroom window. Uh, and it's something I would really like to get to the bottom of one day. But that that caused, yeah, huge trouble and upheaval and uh, could have really completely fractured, you know, our family uh, because of the PTSD that arose from it. Was that related to your work? Yes. I'm very sure that it was related to work. We had no unusual personal issues or, you know, the sorts of things that might cause that. It was, um, uh, and the police were very sure it was related to the journalism that I was doing at the time involving some, you know, pretty bad bastards. And uh, we just didn't see that kind of attack coming um, for bullets fired from pretty close range and one of them went through the window um the glass above our head in bed at 10 30 at night and uh, uh it was a uh, just the start of a i think a spiral of um distress and uh, uh anguish and for a long time afterwards um my wife ruth and i um you know really worked hard to hold things together and sometimes worried that we, we wouldn't be able to because we were just responding in different ways to the aftermath of something like that. 
Yeah, that's extraordinary. I'm imagining that attack lasted for seconds, but then the reliving of that, yeah, I can't imagine how how you would have recovered physically and emotionally from that. You must have relived that every second for years. Yeah. I think I think Ruth uh, was incredibly strong when I was starting to lose my way because I found that when I went back to work a few weeks after the attack um, at my, my desk at the newspaper in Brisbane, um, I'd pick up the phone or answer emails from people who were contacting me because of the fact that I had been attacked as an investigative journalist. They thought that I must be really effective and would be able to resolve the issues that were plaguing me. Um, them or their businesses that I would really get my teeth stuck into something. Whereas I had um, concerns for the safety of Ruth and the kids, uh, children were very young, and uh, I, I was, you know, possibly selfishly just not wanting to have that sort of contact. And then for a period after that, uh, whenever somebody would ask about the shooting, and it could just be a friend. It could have been um, a very dear friend just, you know, checking on welfare and asking how things were going. Uh, you know, I would just involuntarily start to um, tear up and uh, you know, I would find that there would be, you know, um, tears just rolling down my cheeks. That would be really embarrassing because it would happen in meetings with the boss. It would happen just out over a drink and I wouldn't start heaving and crying or anything, but the, the, my eyes would just flow. And uh, I realised at that point that, you know, something wasn't right and we needed to get some help and that's uh, what happened. And it started uh, a recovery period that, that was, you know, uh, difficult but very effective. Yeah. Police who have lived through PTSD and been retired because of PTSD, which you haven't, by the way, we should note, they talk now about the fact that PTSD recovery and counselling related to that is different. It's very specific. You can't go to a psychologist out of the phone book or whatever for PTSD. Did you find that? Did you have to have very specific PTSD counselling? And if so, what is what did it entail? Yeah, well, I remember it started after a meeting um, at... Um, the offices of uh, News Corp in Holt Street, Sydney, and I had gone with Ruth to see uh, some colleagues there and, and Lachlan Murdoch asked uh, us to come out for a meeting and, and we were talking to Lachlan and John Hardigan, who was the CEO, and they were um, you know, keen to know how we were getting on and telling telling us how, you know, um, how they were thinking of us and how proud they were that we were sort of pushing through. But they didn't know what was really going on because we hadn't disclosed, you know, the troubles. And then when, you know, um, Lachlan saw how um, just his gentle questioning about this um, produced, a, um, you know, this, this tearing up effect in me, I think he and John realised that... Um, you know, we needed to get some some help, some counselling. We hadn't had any to that point. And, uh, and uh, I think it was John's recommendation, a really fine um, psychologist who was very down to earth. She was very frank. And she said to me that she had treated many police and fireys and ambulance officers who had PTSD and that if 
you know, I, if I were not careful, I would end up um, like a lot of those people who she got to too late, who had failed in terms of a recovery, who had lost their careers and then been, you know, doubly scarred by it. And her advice was, we need to get you um, mentally well again so that you can get back on oars and um, and get through this. And, and the, the major piece of advice as part of that was to every day raise my heart rate through really vigorous exercise so that your brain was getting those feel-good chemicals um, um, and they were overcoming the you know the the things that were making me feel sad and depressed and so I just went swimming just did um, lap after lap uh, in in the centenary pool and whichever Olympic pool I could get to sometimes early in the morning and uh, I did that for months and uh, gradually it just made things so much better I just felt less depressed less sad and and, uh, I got um, physically a lot well, Peter was probably the first I'd been. As soon as I got better, I started eating Big Macs again. <laughs> but that's interesting. So it's not, it wasn't about gentle strolls. It was very specifically about really getting that heart rate up. Yeah, and, and sustaining um, a, uh, an elevated heart rate for, you know, 35, 45 minutes so that you, you are just um, um, producing neurologically whatever the brain does to to really overpower the, the sadness and it, it started to work wow that's that no one else has talked about that that's fascinating that's excellent advice because I knew it was I knew there were very specific things about PTSD that were different to general counseling around anxiety and stuff like that thank you the tearing up continued for years but um, it was manageable so it didn't suddenly stop when I got mentally and physically fitter through you know, that sort of exercise. But uh, I was just able to deal with it better. And, and you know, I think that it made all the difference. Most importantly, though, what about the intimidation? I mean, clearly that was a very extreme message that someone was trying to send you. It can't have been a one-off. I mean, you're saying that you, don't, you still don't know who did it, but you must have known who ordered it, who was behind it. Problem was, I had been doing a number of stories involving um, different groups and individuals who had the motive to send that sort of message, and I think that um, those individuals, several of them, you know, certainly were capable of it. But evidence, it was thin on the ground, and and so here we are, nineteen years later. Um, in fact. The, um, the anniversary of it is only a few days away and it's one that, you know, I used to sort of think about a lot more in the early years now. I can't, I can't believe it was 19 years ago that, that it happened. I've occasionally looked at um, the photographs that were taken of my wife and I sitting on our bed and, and there's this you know, bullet hole with the, you know, the glass splinters and so on and uh, I recognise you know the old pillowcases and and bed sheets and so on and and you just think geez you know if only my wife or I had been in a different position sitting up getting into bed getting out of bed you know that would have been a tragedy now I don't think the shooter intended to to kill me or hurt a member of my family but it was done with such callous disregard 
and recklessness that that could have happened. Oh, God forbid one of the kids wandered in to ask for something or whatever, mm. as they do. Was that where it ended, the intimidation? Yeah, there, there were no follow-up attacks. I mean, mind you, that is terrorism, isn't it? The point of it was to terrorise you for a very long time. So Yeah, yeah, it did. Uh, and, you know, certainly I was wary for, for a while about... Um, the sorts of stories that I should take on. We thought about leaving our house um, and there were opportunities available to move elsewhere with the company, um, even overseas. But I think partly because of the advice we got from um, the psychologist, we decided that it was best for us to stay in this house where um, you know, we had been raising our children, a house that we loved in a, a, a suburb that we felt very comfortable in and, and we're still there now. Mm. That is extraordinary, Hedley. Have you ever had any, does it re-emerge? Does it do things, triggers, I guess? Do, do you get triggered by things or any of you? Uh, I'm, I'm, not, um, I'm not getting, I think, triggers in relation to that event uh, unless someone specifically asks me about it in the Sorry. last time. Um, and, and it's okay. It's okay because uh, I know when I start to lose um, composure and it's not happening now. So clearly um, I'm feeling in a better place about it. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's always in the back of your mind that um, unhinged people can do you know, very serious damage and that, you know, just a, a, a split second of reckless, you know, indictive behaviour could change, you know, a, a young family's life or anyone's life um, irrevocably forever. Did it strengthen your relationship, do you think? It did ultimately, but it put a huge amount of strain on us. Um, and, you know, I think we could have lost it several times um there, my my um anger really serious anger over what had happened spilled into you know our relationship and you know i think it was um just a credit to my wife that she was able to manage that through this period before we got the help that that was needed and uh, and then um, we've been pretty good since. Very good, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what happens now? So say today we've talked about it and, and, and the anniversary comes up in a couple of days. Will there be, will there be you know, reaction? No. I, I... And also I know that she's been wandering around too. So, you know, will there be a ricochet, do you think? I don't think so. I think um, um, we won't mark it. I, you know, I'll probably mention it um, on a day, but in a, you know, in a sort of a, an offhanded way. Like, can you believe it's been nineteen years? Um, I've thought about wanting to revisit it myself to try to investigate what happened, to try to get the police files and see what else they possibly followed up to see if there's any evidence. You know, I've I've considered that and a little voice in my head has said, no, let sleeping dogs lie. Uh, and I, you know, I have put it away. But um, who knows, I might get to a point where I just want to try to discover the person who, who did that. 
because the voice in my head, Headley, says, what a great podcast. <laughs> Isn't that ironic that yeah, you right. actually have extraordinary unsolved? Yeah, I am. Um... Is that what attracts you to them? Maybe. I mean, we're, we're all attracted to them and attracted is a gross word to use, but you know what I mean? They are fascinating. And for a journo, they're really meaty stories, mm. but yeah, they must be extra purposeful for you. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe on a, at a subconscious level, I am attracted to unsolved in part because of this one. I don't know. Uh, certainly I was writing about um, murder and unsolved cases before the attack. So it, this may have just contributed to the interest that I've got in it. My wife thinks um, I just like the sound of my own voice. You know, <laughs> We all like the sound of your voice, to be fair. It is a very nice voice. Do you think, did it give you extra empathy afterwards? Did it change the way you approached reporting on it or um, the way you dealt with people? Yeah, I, I hope that it did give me a bit more empathy because uh, you do need that in spades when you're dealing with families who have lost a daughter, a sister, a wife, um, and... You know, I think journalists, because we're pretty hard-bitten, can occasionally be uh, a bit a bit brusque or um, less feeling for the pain and distress that the people we're interviewing um, are in. Having your own experience, albeit on a you know very minor scale, compared with you know what you know Shandy Blackburn's mother's been through or what Janine Vaughan's family's been through. Um, what Lynn Dawson's family have been through missing her all these years, you know, is is um, a help. But, you know, you never really could possibly compare that with what they have had to endure. But it must help. It must help to shape the way you approach and, and um, measure the, the questioning. You know, I think there's, a, there's got to be a build-up. You know, I don't think it helps to just you know, be like a bullet at a gate and charge in, uh, especially when you have such a, a a long story to tell and you you just want to approach it as, as tact, tactfully and carefully as possible. You can't ever compare victims, can you? Your situation is, is different to everyone else's situation. It is different to Shandy's and it is different to Lynn Dawson's families and everyone's situations are different. But I think that you must have come back to work with a very much deeper understanding of, on a heart level, if I may use such a kooky expression, but of of just that feeling of powerlessness and loss and sort of grieving, I guess, of what you'd lost that night in those seconds when somebody fired bullets through your bedroom window I mean you know what what you lost in your relationship what you lost in yourself you know and it feels like when you're tearing up it feels like sort of a grieving process does that make sense yeah no I think that's right and you know I'm um I'm hopefully um, thoughtful and kind but I'm talking to um, victims families and, and siblings and parents and so on mm. um, but, me, but me too but I think I'm guessing where I think you're probably more knowing but i think you've also got to be a rottweiler when it's necessary not with the families unless you suspect them yeah. but um, yeah. you know you've got to be tough and rugged and be and be able to sort of switch into the um you know very uh, relentless and um deliberate focused questioner especially if you think that someone is um, lying or hiding something 
and uh, you need to to push. So, uh, you know, having having the capacity to to do that um, is essential in this kind of work. Did you ever lose that? Do you think when you were in the throes of PTSD, did you ever get scared and uh, not have that capacity? Yeah, no, I think I think then it was really bad. Um, I wanted to give journalism away. I thought that, you know, what would be the future? I didn't want to um, write what I would have regarded as the sort of soft stories. I was a, um, a hard news reporter. I'd worked overseas as a correspondent in London. I'd spent six years working in Hong Kong leading up to the handover and through that. And, you know, I'd been, tried to be a serious journalist. So if I couldn't practice serious journalism because of the shooting, if I felt that I was um, intimidated and, and worried about doing that, then the options in journalism for me just seemed pretty unattractive and therefore I thought, well, what am I going to do instead? You know, I don't even have a university degree. Yeah, you're not going to do puff pieces on Dancing with the Stars. I mean, mm. that's not your go. Well, as <laughs> my family would tell you, Michelle, my knowledge of popular culture is just so pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you are, though. <laughs> Thank you, only because we stalked you mm. for so many months and years to get you on our show. Well, mm. I'm glad you um, you overcame it and, and went to see the the psychologist and got help unfortunately again so many police have said that that you know that was that's really hard for men in particular to to go and get that help so yeah i've got a sneaking suspicion too though that immersion in help can also be counterproductive i think you must Uh get to a point where uh you've got to break free and and after you've had you know a very helpful period of counselling and and hopefully you've followed the uh, advice and raised your heart rate every day and and, and just got your your um, those feel good chemicals working then just trying to let go of the help you know because otherwise it can become a crutch and you just start to wallow in in the necessity of it all and the framework of it all and you know there's a there's an industry that is brilliantly set up to cater for people but some people just want it forever because um it's also perhaps making some people feel relevant so there's a fine line thank you to our guest Hedley thomas and to ruth thomas the links to the night driver and Hedley's latest podcast shandy's story are in the show notes thank you to patrons hannah claire nicole rudd ellis kylie walden sophie carolyn cook and sammy Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Australian True Crime, the nation's leading independent true crime podcast, is hitting the road with our live show. We're coming to Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane this July, and tickets will be available starting May 10th at 9.30am sharp. They sold out in two hours last time, so do not dilly-dally. We know the suburbs of Australia are teeming with some of the most intriguing and chilling true crime stories the world has ever heard. Don't miss the chance to dive deeper and get involved with a live Q&A. With over a million and a half downloads monthly, these tickets will sell out. So keep an eye on our social media pages and check the podcast bio for direct links to purchase yours as soon as they're released on Friday, May 10. I can't wait to see you there.